This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Wrestling with Jonas. This is episode 90, so we're rapidly approaching the magical 100 mark, but this is episode 90, and today I've got a very special guest on the Wrestling with Jonas podcast, and uh, I'm going to be interviewing a current Rise Underground world champion, Big Effing Joe. But before we introduce Big Effing Joe, I just want to kind of mention the fact that Wrestling with Jonas has its own website now, so we're now online. Of course, we've got all our social media links. You can get in touch with us via Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and all that good stuff, but if you go ahead and search our website, www.wrestlingwithjohners.com, you've got all of our links there, all of our links to our social media, all of our archive to podcasts. We've got exclusive articles from our team of writers and our work, work for the Wrestling with Jonas pod, uh, podcast and uh, website and um, daily updates on wrestling news from around the world. So go and check it out. That's wrestlingwithjohners.com. You can find all of our social media links there instead of me reading them out to you like I usually do at the start of every single episode. Uh, however, this is uh, an interview with Big Effing Joe in conjunction with Turnbuckle TV. So this is our second interview in a series of uh, interviews with Turnbuckle TV and as we're all aware Turnbuckle TV is easily the best UK-based pro wrestling on-demand service available today with over 30 channels shining a, a massive great big light on the very best independent wrestling from around the UK. Simply go to turnbuckletv.com uh, to subscribe to over 30 channels featuring more UK independent wrestling that you can shake a bloody great big stick at for only 3 99 per month. And there's also a lot of free content on there as well uh, so go ahead and check it out today. That's Turnbuckle TV.com. And that leads us nicely to our next interview in partnership, in collaboration with Turnbuckle TV, uh, with one of the most in-demand wrestlers on the UK indie scene right now. He's the current Rise Underground World Champion. I want to welcome to the Wrestling with Jonas podcast, Big Effing Joe. So Joe, good evening. How are you, sir? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Thank you. Excellent. Great to have you on the podcast. Uh, we've been looking forward to getting you uh, on board. Uh, we've got quite a few fan questions uh, for Big F and Joe to go through a little bit later on uh, during the course of the, the interview. But one, one question I'd like to ask all of my guests whenever I have a, a Wrestling with Jonas uh, interview, and that's kind of how my guest first got into professional, how, how they got into kind of becoming a fan of wrestling. So, Joe, my question to you is, um, how, how did you first come across professional wrestling as a fan was it from a young age have you always been a fan of professional wrestling tell us about your, your fandom and how you came across uh, this great sport of professional wrestling my friend well yeah it came across uh, wrestling when i was five i just remember my first memories uh, actually um wcw and sting so it was just from there really i don't know how i just remember it was on saturdays and um I must have just stumbled across it where my parents had left the room or something. And yeah. then all Saturday afternoons, there. I remember. Yeah. And, and Sting's one of my all time favourites as well. 
It was uh, WCW and the A team on a Saturday, if I remember. Yeah, so those were good, some good afternoons, definitely. The A team and WCW doesn't get much better. So Sting was obviously, I would imagine, if you stumbled across WCW, Sting was probably one of your early favourites. And uh, as you were kind of becoming more of a fan of professional wrestling, did you did you kind of branch out a little bit? Did you watch a little bit of, I don't know, WWF? Um, what sort of promotions and wrestlers kind of uh, turned you on to wrestling at that young age? I, pretty much anything with wrestling on it. So like. WWF at the time or even I remember as a kid just weird stuff like you'd go into the QD shop QD do you yeah. know what I mean by that yeah they'd have, like, they'd have like a VHS section and they'd have like glow tapes and random USWA compilations and stuff and I'd buy them I was, I was pretty well versed at early age in all sorts of different genres of wrestling yeah, that's really fascinating. And uh, I, I suppose, I mean, like myself, it took a few years for my family to get Sky. But did your family eventually get Sky? And kind of, did you start watching kind of satellite TV with all the kind of WWF stuff that was on on yeah. offer back in back in the nineties? Yeah, I remember the first the day I got Sky, they had Mania on. Can you remember that with Todd Pettengale? Yes. And I remember yeah, the very much so. The first episode of Raw I got to see on Sky was when Vader. Again, which is weird because he was in um, the match with Sting that I remember as a kid. But um, it was him crushing Yokozuna's leg. Remember that episode? Yes, fondly. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. So we're uh, good times. Good times. Uh, we obviously grew, grew up in the in a very similar similar time span, a very similar um, era. So so tell me a little bit about. Um, when you first became interested in becoming a professional wrestler then joe so to so tell us what sparked that interest to become a pro wrestler yourself i mean obviously you started watching wrestling at a young age five years old um you know did that kind of plant the seed early on and, and kind of when did you kind of first uh kind of you know make that decision to say right i'm going to start training to become a pro wrestler see this is really kind of lame but ever since i first seen it all I ever wanted to do was be a wrestler. So when I was five, six, even in high school, when, when you're about, when you're going for your GCSEs and they ask what you want to do, and I just wanted to be a wrestler, which was kind of a hindering hindrance because I um, didn't care about grades at all or care about anything that would help me in the real world. All I wanted to do was wrestle. Yeah, and I suppose when you have to have their meetings kind of in the, in the in the sixth form, it's like, what do you want to do as a career? And, uh, you know, you're going to be a bank manager, you're going to be, you know, this, that and the other. And it's like, no, I want to be a professional wrestler. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I had similar conversations when I told my teachers I wanted to be a snooker player. And uh, yeah, it's like, well, we can't help you, son, you know. <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, go on. The thing is, with a snooker player, you have to have skill. With wrestling, <laughs> with wrestling, you don't have to have any skill at all to actually make money. So. Well, maybe, maybe. But uh, my, my snooker career didn't get off the ground and your wrestling career did. But uh, So tell us a little bit about your training then. So uh, where, where did you start training? At what age? Uh, who was it with? Who, kind of, who, who uh, got you into the business? Uh, I started when I was 18 um, with the UK Pitbulls. So I, I went actually on my 18th birthday. I travelled down. It took me about four hours on train to get there, um, only for the school to be shut that day, oh. which sucked balls. <laughs> um, yeah, they were kind enough to... Um, yeah, the gym was actually open, but the, the wrestling part wasn't on that day. They, for whatever reason, they were kind enough to actually let me get in the ring and take like one bump, and my whole, my whole journey wasn't wasted. Um, 
yeah, and I went from training with them to a similar location to WAW. So I started training with the Knight family as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Pitbulls were cool enough because a lot of training schools are like, you can't train with this person, don't train anywhere else, and all that sort of bullshit. But the Pitbulls were like, train with anyone and everyone. No matter how good or bad they are, you'll learn something. So they were super cool. That's cool. And and uh, so you had training with the UK Pitbulls. Then you kind of got brought into kind of WAW and, and the Knight family. What was that experience like, uh, kind of training with, with the Knights? I mean, they're, they're probably more famous, uh, more prominent now than they were when you started training. But uh, were they a good bunch to be around? Were they were they helpful? Did, did you find that their, their training was useful uh, for you? Yeah, massively. Um, the only difference was their classes were a lot bigger. So when I trained with the Pitbulls, that might have been like four to eight of us in a mm-hmm. class. Um, and there were every there were twice a week at one point. And um, WAWs were much bigger classes. Um, but I've got nothing but good things to say about them. They all, they all um, play their part in teaching you different things. Because you'll notice the family are quite distinctive in their, in their uh, skill set, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like they're totally different wrestlers. Like Sweet Soraya is totally different to say Zebra Kid. But uh, you but you want to learn from every all of them. So yeah, and and to take us back to them early days. And so I, mean, I have it down here that you've been uh, wrestling now for about fourteen years. Is, is that right, Joe? <laughs> hey, fave. <laughs> Don't ruin it, man. I'm I'm pretty. I, I wouldn't say that. Wow, wow. Nice. But but but, but uh, I mean, you, you you were wrestling under the WAW banner or what, back in 2010, 2011. Uh, is that is that about right? Yeah, yeah. Oh God, you've ruined my high now. I was, I was <laughs> stoned. That's why I sound a bit like Marvel Man. I'm pretty mad, and you've just ruined it for me. Oh, sorry, buddy. Sorry, buddy. But uh, so take us back to the early days. I mean, when you made your pro wrestling debut, kind of. Was you, was you nervous? Was you excited? I mean, how did the match go? Can you can you remember your first pro yes, wrestling match? I'll, t- I'll tell you a funny story from my first match. Uh, two, anyway. So my first match was against Stevie Knight, who who you'd probably know if you're. He was like a British legend. Uh, anyway, so um, he finally gets to the venue and he's like, "What can you do off the top?" And at the time, I could moonsault, so I said moonsault, and he went fine. Miss that, we'll go to the finish. Bearing in mind, it's my first match. Not anything called at all. So I didn't know any, how the match was going and proper shitting myself. <laughs> and, uh, in the match, uh, he pulled out a fork from his trunks and pretended to work it into my head just as a rib. Because, uh, yeah. yeah, I thought I'd got colour. Because he said he was going to get colour on me in the match, jokingly. And I thought when he used the fork, I was like, oh, my God, fuck, he's making me bleed. And I was like feeling my head for colour. Really weird situation, uh, um, which is pretty random, like a pretty random experience for your first match. For your first match, yeah. I'm, I'm, that's probably enough to make some guys run a mile on their first match, to be honest with you, and never come back. <laughs> yeah, but I say it, it might sound bad, but it was in a good way. Like when I got back, he was like, the reason I told you nothing in the match is because if you plan everything, you can forget stuff. Nothing went wrong in that match because there was nothing to remember. You responded to everything that I asked you to do. You fed, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that was quite good. And and the fork thing was a rib because anyone that knows the Pitbulls know they're massive ribbers. And there's like a, a certain group of guys in English wrestling that are like throwbacks to that. Uh, Stevie Knight was one of them. 
So if you could take a rib, which you just don't see in wrestling nowadays, um, you were good to go. You know, if I'd have took it the wrong way, then yeah. probably wouldn't have had many more matches. Yeah, probably while, scared, like. scared you. But um, and and sticking to them early days, and Joe. I mean, I'm guessing that your your gimmick was was a world away from what it is currently as as the big F in Joe that we all know and love uh, in 2020. But uh, what, what was your kind of character and gimmick back then? I mean, did did you really have one back in them early days? You're you're really making me depressed now. <laughs> making have flashbacks like a molested child. <laughs> uh, so um yeah, I was just I shouldn't have been allowed anywhere near a ring for ages really. Like I was quite lucky uh blessed and cursed that I had my first match after like four or five months. Right. Um and I just looked like I robbed a joke shop, you know, I just put any gimmick on I could to uh try in my mind to look cool. I had like a sort of emo punk rock sort of thing going on yeah it's pretty cringe pretty bad um, yeah so uh, th- 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 i'm guessing uh times you want to kind of uh, forget then joe you yes. don't want to relive them so i apologize for bringing were, them up if it brings back any bad memories <laughs> there were very much the days in uh brit rest where everyone had plever shorts yeah that was uh, yes depressing dark times. days dark days <laughs> But, um, I mean, with AWA, in, sorry, WAW in particular, I'm guessing it was a, a good learning experience for you, especially, you know, it gave you uh, plenty of opportunities to hone your craft and to, to develop a character or wrestling style. Did you find them early days kind of very useful to kind of find yourself as a wrestler? Yeah, yeah. WAW were brilliant because they ran so many shows as well. And mm. they were super cool, like, not just to use their own trainees, because obviously I was coming from another school. So they could have alienated me and put their own guys on, but they never did. So you've got lots of opportunities to be on shows and wrestle people with so much experience. It It was really good. Yeah, because I mean, quite a lot of the UK talent, certainly, you know, over the last 10 years, years or so, they've gone through the doors of WAW. I mean, you know, that they've they've wrestled for the Knight family at one time or another. I should imagine a fair portion of the UK talent has passed through WAW. And everyone, uh, from everyone yeah. from like Alex Shane to Nick Aldis, um, Marty Skrull had like some of his earlier matches there. I mean, they're the, they're the first promotion to put a lot of... Um, give a lot of guys their first outside bookings yeah which is yeah. Uh, you can't ever slate them for that a lot of they get a lot of attention in brit rest but good people in my eyes mm-hmm. so for for many of my listeners on the wrestling with john's podcast um you know kind of some wrestlers might not be as familiar with you joe but uh, you've become one of the most uh, in demand wrestlers on the uk circuit um you're definitely known for your physical style your brawling style um but uh, has that always been has that always been the case i mean if uh, this kind of more hardcore brawling physical big effing joe that we know now um is that has that always been your style or is that always been your kind of preferred uh style in the ring joe or have you have you been a bit more technical in the past talk us through your your development as a, as a professional wrestler and the different styles that you've kind of uh tried uh, trialed over the years i should say it's the sort of stuff that i always wanted to do um because i was more of a fan of ecw czw in mm. my teenage years for sure there's always the sort of stuff I wanted to do, but in, in wrestling, you can't just come out of a training school and do a death match or something mm. like that. It's just, you shouldn't do it. 
people do do it, like you shouldn't. Um, and you have to like earn your stripes. And in wrestling, when I was like brought into it, they had like the seven year rule. So basically, you ca- you can't like even take a training school, like to, te- to teach other people after seven years. So it's basically the same premise. Like for seven years, you like you tow the line, you do whatever people ask of you, and then after that, you do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, and and to be honest, like I think I'm a pretty good technical wrestler. Like I used to do a lot of technical stuff, especially for WAW and uh, promotions like Premier, where it's very much based on actual technical wrestling, and it's more of like an older crowd. Um, yeah, I can't even remember where I was going for this. Um, so yeah, the technical wrestling stuff. So yeah, I, I like doing that sort of stuff. But I'm never going to be the best wrestler in the world. I'm never going to be the best like high flyer in the world. There's kind of a niche in England for like big guys like brawling and the the blood and guts and the chaos and, yeah. and that sort of thing. You know, like I think wrestling for me is all about moments. So in a, in a match, like if you can create a moment and uh, you can kind of get aware of a lot more of that sort of stuff in the sort of hardcore brawling craziness death match sort of stuff I, I feel anyway yeah i mean has there been any any professional wrestlers kind of uh from wwf wwe or maybe around the uk circuit that you've been influenced by that you've kind of modeled yourself on or, or kind of taken uh, you know taken a few moves from uh, any wrestlers in particular that's influenced uh, you your style your character i wouldn't say this influenced my character or style so much but just influenced me in general when i was growing up would have been like alex shane just through fwa like uh, that was a obviously a massive point for a lot of guys in in the scene today grew up watching fwa so that kind of whole era kind of yeah it's hard to put words on but that's the kind of stuff that inspired me you know because before that british wrestling was pretty dull yeah. You know, it went from the world of sport, died off, and it was just literally, like, it's going to sound bad, but, like, you know, all-star family-type shows. Mm, yeah, you know, I've been to good, one or two of those, yeah. You know, not, like, not, 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 not the glory days. Yeah, like, all-star wrestlers are, like, the best wrestlers in England because they wrestle every fucking day. But, yeah. I mean, you, you as a teenager, you can't sink your teeth into that. You'll go to a show, you might have a great time, but because there's no storylines and because all the matches are very family friendly and you know like so the fwa vibe had a bit of everything so that kind of inspired me to actually want to get into wrestling like in england if that makes sense before you didn't really think that was an option you just thought you're going to go to america and try to become a wrestler if that, if that makes sense. Mm, most definitely. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I've, I've got to say, I mean, looking at more recent times, NJ, I mean, the last couple of years, we've definitely seen a massive rise in, in your character and your career as a whole. Uh, you were voted Rise Underground Wrestler of the Year for the last three years. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of that, but 2017, 2018 and 2019, you were there Wrestler of the Year. Uh, you were the Rise Hardcore Champion for six months. Uh, you, you won your first Rise World Championship uh, almost one year ago to the day. Uh, you wrestled for CCW um, and uh, you're finishing the year as Rise World Champion. Now, uh, off the back of all of this, I want to jump to one of our fan questions, if that's OK. And it's from uh, Jason Lee Wood. Now, uh, he's seen uh, you in the flesh. He's seen uh, Rise Underground in Leeds. 
Uh, and he, he remembers vividly there being a, an underground no ropes and no rules uh, fight. And I think it's on YouTube as well. So it, it, there's a few of them. But but so we'll talk more about them sort of matches very, very soon. But uh, Jason wants to know, he, say, he says it's an awesome company, loves Rise. Um, but uh, could I ask a big effing Joe, does he have any more plans to go back to the US again uh, as he was uh, at this year's CZW show and wondered if he was going to do anything like that again? So I just want to add some context first before you answer that. So you was at the... Um, CZW Tournament of Death events over in New Jersey in June and you faced uh, Casanova Valentine in the opening round. So tell us about that whole experience, how it all came about and to answer Jason's question have you got any plans to go back to the States to do any more deathmatch tournaments uh, specifically with CZW? Right, I'll answer that one first. Um, I do want to go back. I definitely want to do TOD again because I just felt like my performance only was in the first round and there was circumstances around that that made it hard because uh, like Casanova did a double shot that day. So he was right. wrestling in New York and it got to the point where he wasn't even at the venue, like through traffic and stuff. And they were like, if he doesn't turn up in this match, we'll put the tag match on before. But if he doesn't turn up during a tag match, you're just going to have to wrestle a total stranger, you know, like, and, and considering that was like the biggest match of my, my career. Um, I didn't want to do that. You know, I, I wanted to wrestle Cass because I've wrestled him before. Yeah. And, you know, just to have something thrown on you like that would, would sh- like suck balls. So yeah. um, luckily he turned up and, and the match, the match was, I was really happy with, but I just know if he'd like circumstances would have permitted if, if he was there like two hours before an hour before, then the match would have been so much better. Mm. Um, yeah, I suppose you would be more mentally prepared, wouldn't you? Because you're probably thinking, oh, is he, isn't he going to show up? But uh, yeah, you got your match in the end, though. And you said it was probably the most important match of your career. Um, but um, I mean, how, how did it all come about? How did you get invited to be a part of that tournament then, Joe? So I think it was the year before I tried to do like a Facebook like campaign, just like throwing my name in the hat. And then just I had like a better year, like getting more prominent with, I guess, like the videos that I was in we're getting more traction seen by more like deathmatch fans they're quite a tight-knit community yeah. and uh i think through that uh dj hyde contacted me um and uh basically we sorted the details out and it went from there uh pretty simple really i mean i kind of bluffed my way into it because there's far more deserving people than me but i guess every year they've kind of had a british gimmick they had a uh, obviously jimmy havoc and clint margera then they had drew parker and obviously they've become more successful so they have to scrape the barrel and get the third rate deathmatch guy but Far from scraping the barrel, Joe. Come on, but it's, it's something you definitely want to do again. You definitely want to go to the states and possibly take part in the uh, tournament of death again. Yes, definitely. I, I, I mean, I'm down for any tournament. Tournament. I, I really want to do the Nick Gage Invitational because uh, grew up watching Nick Gage, and that that'd be kind of a trip. Um, but anything, man. I, uh, I've got things in the in the line lined mm. up potentially to go to the States, but I, I never believe stuff like that until my name is on that flight ticket. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's looking good. It's looking good. 
Fantastic. And then and then uh, Casanova Valentini came over here uh, to the UK to be part of Rise's uh, Games of Death tournament uh, where you faced each other in the final. But this time, the, the Rise world title was on the line as well in this, in this final match. And this was as violent as you might expect uh, having yourself and Casanova in the ring. It ended with, with uh, Casanova Valentine defeating you with a claw slam through a, a table of light tubes. It, it was it was pretty pretty wicked to watch. Uh, but uh, Casanova Valentine seems to have been one of the opponents that's been a bit of a, a thorn in your side, really. You can't seem to shake him off. And uh, but, but tell us about your rivalry with uh, Casanova Valentine, because you do seem to have uh, kind of um, met somebody uh, you know that, that's really tested you this year. Yeah, we both um, first met each other at the Gathering of the Juggalos, which is uh, in St. Clarence Posse's Festival. That's yeah. where we first uh, met each other. And it was like a love-hate relationship. Um, obviously, he's like, we're like a second-rate... Uh, we, well, I want to be like a second-rate Abdullah and Brody, uh, me and him, like international blood feud. And yeah. uh, it just seems like things lined up. Like, there was mutual respect on, the, on, on Facebook, like, I started seeing his no ring death matches, started watching him and he found rise. And then we suddenly got booked at the gathering. And then it was just one of those things like from that match, it just seemed like more people wanted to book it. Like obviously CZW and rise so it's like an organic sort of feud. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, it, it, it definitely it worked. Yeah. And, and your matches have been uh, kind of ultra violent and, but uh, 